are in Jeremiah chapter 7. So if you'd like to turn there. Um, but before we uh, recap what we did last week and um, position ourselves in the book and read the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Grace of God, we do thank you um, that uh, you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, even when we uh, were um, lost in sin and our trespasses, that you sent uh, people like your prophets um, and apostles uh, to proclaim your truth. Uh, we thank you for how men like Jeremiah uh, stood uh, between you and us, um, faithfully proclaiming uh, your words to us, but also um, pleading our case before you. Lord, we thank you that um, you have caused us to know you um, and that you have called us to worship. Uh, even as we uh, study this morning, uh, may our worship not be merely an external practice, um, but may we come um, with hearts uh, convicted of our sinfulness um, and longing uh, for repentance and uh, coming to the one uh, in whom we can find full and complete uh, forgiveness and in whose works um, we can be clothed with that um, perfect righteousness that your justice requires. Lord, um, show us our own um, sin and hypocrisy, but also uh, teach us to walk in your paths. Uh, instruct us now by your Holy Spirit, we pray, through the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oops, sorry. You'll have to forgive the, uh, the use of the instrument uh, this morning. Uh, my computer was out, or printer was out of ink. So I'm not secretly up here, um, you know, double tasking on the paper that I haven't written yet that I'm presenting next Saturday. So... <laughs> Uh, but if I start talking to why, you'll know that I'll, I'm lying. Um, no, we're talking about Jeremiah. So last week um, in Jeremiah 6, we concluded a longer section um, that ran from chapters 4 to 6 that was focused on this coming uh, invader from the north who was to be the instrument of God's punishment of Judah's sin. Um, chapter 6 we saw last week began with a poetic description of the coming siege and devastation of Jerusalem. And then God gave us the reason uh, for this coming um, destruction. Um, the impending doom was the result of the uncircumcised ears of a people who refused to listen to the word of God and instead preferred deceit and greed. Uh, God called them to return and to once again walk in the ancient paths, but they refused to pay attention to God's words and rejected his laws. Um, so therefore, this judgment would come, um, and the chapter ended with this, uh, again, poetic picture of God calling Jeremiah to be like a tester of metals um, who um, examines the people, and instead of being the purified silver that the... Um, that the uh, metal worker was seeking, they were refuse silver um, that was good for nothing except to be uh, thrown out, silver that could not be refined. And so that's where we ended uh, in chapter 6. So chapter 7, you'll notice a couple things that are different. Um, for the last several chapters, Jeremiah has 
primarily been presenting his prophecy through poetry. Um, you'll notice, uh, uh, you know, and poetry and, and usually most people's copies of scripture, you know, looks like all the indented lines and everything, um, kind of giving us the structure of the poem. Um, now we're getting prose. And so you'll see that we're more into block text. Um, and this is a, a beginning of a sermon. You'll notice um, that it, it gives us a location, um, specific location of when this or where this passage uh, is being presented um, at the gate of Yahweh's house. Um, so you'll often refer here, chapter seven referred to as the temple gate sermon. It has a parallel in Jeremiah chapter 26, which is also um, given the same location uh, in the, the temple precincts. Um, that one gives us a lot more specific um, context. Um, it, it gives us, it's in the Jehoiakim. We don't know that um, chapter seven, we don't know when it's being presented, but it's very similar to chapter 26, which is located in the reign, uh, early in the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Um, but they've got a lot of simple, similar themes. Um, so we'll come back to some of these themes in chapter seven, again, in chapter 26. Um, so today, as we get into this uh, sermon, um, it, it's almost as if um, Matthew was standing outside <laughs> preaching a sermon to us before we came uh, into worship. Um, and, and that's the, the, the idea here. Um, the people coming into the temple are being greeted with the message that internal preparation is needed as a prior condition for meeting with God. Uh, or, you know, to, to remind them, even before they think of entering the house of God, or even while they were attempting to get ready to worship him, they needed to think about um, their own hearts and the state of their own disobedience. So we'll see that this sermon in chapter 7 focuses a lot on worship and the multiple ways that worship can go awry, uh, either in the misplaced trust in merely the external worship of the true God um, without inward submission and obedience to that God, or how it goes awry in, in worshiping things that are not God, um, turning to these false gods, as we'll see Judah doing. So with that as a word of introduction, let me read for us um, Jeremiah chapter 7. Um, if you have an a ESV, this can usually be found on page 634. So hear now the word of God. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the... Oh. <laughs> you didn't know I had lightning quick reflexes. I didn't know that either. You did know I was that clumsy though, so. All right, sorry about that. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, uh, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly exercise justice with one another, 
If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer, therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them. Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the father kindles fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the, for in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And I will walk in all the way that I, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline the ear, but walked in their own counsels in the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them, day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is a nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. 
For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for, the, for they will bury in Topheth because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. And I will silence in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So let's start off um, with this idea. Uh, he says in, in verse 4, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What, what is deceptive about saying those words? How, how is that, that um, repeating that phrase, deceitful? Yeah, Rob. Okay, they're saying, yeah, yeah, they have God in a box. <laughs> in this case, the box is the temple, and like because of that, um, they feel uh, inviolable, um, that the temple itself is inviolable, that because they have it, um, it is, um, it is uh, yeah, it, the thing, in a sense, um, is what is uh, their protection, this temple. Yeah, Greg, and then Dave. And notice he specifically gives us five of the Ten Commandments there. And he repeats this phrase. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they've taken the covenant and they've taken the promises and completely um, abstracted them um, from all the obligations that were involved in that relationship with God. So they're like taking the gift of God but refusing the um, obedience to those um, covenant stipulations. Dave, you had your hand up. Yeah, so they're deceiving themselves <laughs> um, because they're not, they're certainly not deceiving God. Um, as he says, um, you know, behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So they're going through the external matter of entering God's house. And, and some people even think like this has become some kind of mantra 
like that the thricefold repeating of this is, is literally like some kind of magical saying that they're repeating. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, just like you know, people go around chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Yeah, it's a mantra, it's a, a chant. It's, it's their, their trusting in mere external words and the presence of this temple and there is zero heart obedience or repentance involved in their worship. I mean, but I mean, we don't have to get into the specifics of our, our hymnal. But but you're right. I mean, and and this is like if there's the the one application I'm going to be hammering again and again is we can fall into the same trap. You know, we can say, well, I belong to an evangelical church, like a church that preaches the word of God, and because of, I'm a member of this particular body, then and I come and faithfully worship every week that, as James Glover used to say, like I, I feel like I have a license to ill the other six days of the week. So it's sort of like, you know, that it's so easy for us to detach what we do here from how we live our lives. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, they are committing murder. They're committing robbery. They're defrauding widows. Um, they are uh, oppressing um, the helpless. Uh, and then they come and, and their worship makes them feel safe. Like there, there will be no consequences to their actions. Yeah. Um, again, it's that idea that uh, you see the same thing back in Samuel where um, they, you know, they think they're going to win because they have the ark with them, even though God has told them don't go into battle. And they're like, nope, we've got the God in the box. So, you know, nothing can stop us. Um, and they, they refuse to listen to the God, <laughs> but they want to hold on to the external thing and think, oh, we have the temple, or later on we'll see in this chapter, we have the sacrifices. Like, because we do the rote external things, then the rest of our lives don't matter. And they, you know, the, again, the people who should be ashamed are them. <laughs> um, they're bringing shame on the name of God, um, but, but like God is ashamed of them, and he wants them to feel their shame. Cynthia, you have your hand. Absolutely. And again, it's so easy to make good things rote and devoid of the power those good things are supposed to do. Like, just go through the motions. Um, not like, you know, 
growing up Catholic. Like, I, I think this was my experience of worship. For Like, I went to church every Sunday, went through the motions, went home, and didn't think anything about it the rest of the time. But thought I was in good standing before God because I was baptized, I went to church, I took communion, so, you know, uh, I, I'm good. Like, and if you had asked me, you know, the, the evangelism question, if you die tonight and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? That would have been what I said. <laughs> I'm baptized. I go to church every Sunday. I take communion. And, you know, again, these external actions completely devoid of any, um, any guilt for sin, any repentance over sin, any trust or faith in God. It's just mere external practice. And in that, it's easy to add in other religious practices. Like, I mean, that's, that's the kind of attitude, like, if you don't care what the word of God really says, you can add in, all right, temple worship here, add a little Baal worship here, a little Molech worship over in that valley, burn our sons and daughters. It, it's all just kind of your, you know, turning to whatever practice gives you a certain feeling rather than, or, you know, a way to pat you on the back of like adding up your spiritual chips rather than what God really wants, which is he wants people to, to know him and to know him is to seek to obey him. Others, what strikes you about um, this, the way he's describing um, their, their worship in these first part in regards to the temple? Exactly. We might not have the same devotion to a particular place that they have, but we can definitely have devotion to the externals of Christ Church without having the, you know, the, the internal membership of that church. You know, again, the, all the visible church, um, the visible churches ha has, you know, just like Israel, the visible Israel. All Israel is not true Israel. All the visible church is not the true church, but it's the people who are trusting in Christ. So, so here, like, um, to kind of like, uh, yeah, you'll notice it in this chapter the repeated of the repetition of the word place. Place is a really concept, important concept. Um, so what is required of Judah to stay in this place? And, you know, there are debates over whether he's specifically talking about the temple or Jerusalem or the land of Judah itself. Um, so what's required of Judah to stay in this place? And what are the sins that, God, that cause God to cast them out of this place? Yeah, Ronnie.
And, and, and notice, again, the close tie between false worship and, um, you know, rejecting God's sovereignty in worship means they're also neglecting their obligations to one another. Like, so the co covenant violations are going in a couple of directions. <laughs> you know, like, by violating their covenant with God, they are free to violate their, their obligations to one another. And all those things, uh, again, like, um, if you look in Deuteronomy, over and over again, there is concern for these groups of people, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, over and over again, these are the people who are most vulnerable in a society, and it's so easy to, to oppress them, to take from them, to abuse them, to defraud them, to, um, to act unjustly toward them. And in God's law, and it, that's different from other laws um, in the ancient Near East, where it's, you know, don't do these things to, you know, one another, um, but, you know, fair game <laughs> to, to these kind of outsiders. No, this God's law specifically protects those who are most vulnerable. Um, and those are the people, you know, they're doing this to one another. Like, and, and we'll see this, you know, over and over again in the book of Jeremiah. Um, that it's, it's not just a society that has rejected God, but because they've rejected God, they're devouring one another um, because, you know, you cut God's sovereignty and God's law off, then it, everything becomes fair game, both in terms of worship, um, but also in terms of um, ethics and, and how we treat one another. Good. What else uh, in, in terms of, you know, what's required to stay in place? So as Ronnie says, um, you know, to amend your ways and your deeds, so to, to repent, <laughs> uh, which isn't just, again, not as Jeremiah's explained to us before, it's not just saying you're sorry, but it's actually doing things. <laughs> um, yeah, Mike. Absolutely. Um, they need this external force. <laughs> um, like, they, they're dead in their sins and trespasses, just as we are dead in our sins and trespasses, until that Holy Spirit comes in and quickens us, makes us alive, gives us eyes to see, like, um, ears to hear. Like, again, last chapter, it's not a lack of education. Um, you know, they, they're being told all the time, e even here, you know, God says, um, I have persistently <laughs> sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. <laughs> um, so it's not a, like, you know, it's, it's not a lack of information input. 
oh, if only the message got out. <laughs> um, you know, we, if we just taught them what they should do. No, God has told them what to do over and over and over and over again. And they persistently refuse to, to, to listen. And even worse, you know, uh, and I, again, I think this is where the self-deceit um, is, is making their situation even worse. They think they're okay. You know, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Like, you know, it's all these detestable things like they're, they're doing over and over again, and yet they think they're safe. They think we're delivered. Um, and Jeremiah is like, or God, through Jeremiah, is saying, look around. <laughs> Where's Ephraim? <laughs> you, you, had a, you had a brother. <laughs> Where, where's he now? Gone. <laughs> Where was my temple before? Shiloh. You remember that place? Does that, like, just because my tabernacle was there first, does that extend any protection to it? Go look. Like, there's visible evidence of the coming judgment that God has said he's going to bring upon them. Um, and even with that, they're still sort of trusting in this, we've got the thing, we've got the temple, therefore we're delivered, we're safe. And, you know, to, um, in contrast to the clear evidence um, visible before them and to the clear message that's being um, presented to them over and over and over again. So I would say all the, the promises in regards to the land carry over into the church. Um, but we, we have to think, again, it's, it's not a particular, it's the place where God is with his people, the new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem where people, all the peoples of the earth stream to. Um, that's the, the, the land that we should be looking for to promise. Like, and so... Again, to just merely trust in external things is completely, yeah, missing the point of what Jeremiah is emphasizing here. Um, so uh, you um, probably um, noted uh, um, uh, this is a passage that Jesus um, quotes. Um, so yeah, what does it mean that the house of the Lord has been made into a den of robbers? Okay, they weaseled in, took over. I mean, but what's a den of robbers? Let's 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 think of that. Like, Okay, so it says something about the character of the people, like that they are, you know, robbers in this sense. Um, 
yeah, this is the place where they're plotting to do evil. And the place, like at Hideout, you know, is they think they're safe. Like that's the, where the robbers gather, divvy up the loot. It's where they feel safe to do this, where they're not going to get caught. And that's what, that's the image that we're given here. This people committing deceit, robbery, all these horrid things. And rather than, you know, coming into the temple where they should be convicted of their sins, this is the place where they feel safest in their sins. Like, this is the hideout, I think is a great word for it, Nick. Yeah, Mike, you had your... Yeah, and we see that directly with how, you know, when Jesus is applying it, like he's looking around and it's it's like all kinds of greed before him, people doing business, and so he's turning over the tables of the money changers um, because it's the house is being used for all the things um, except the one that it was really intended for, <laughs> to come into the presence of, of, of God, you know, to be before that holy of holies um, and, and to think about what, what that means, that I am a sinner, um, that uh, this is a holy, holy God uh, whose presence I cannot even like remotely approach because of my sinfulness. So rather than reminding them of their sin and reminding them to leave behind, you know, all the cares of the wor world. Exactly as you say, Mike, this becomes the place where their greed is um, finding full expression. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. It's where they're scheming. It's where they're. It's a hideout where they're safe. Like, because again, yeah, it's where they uh, <laughs> have their young. It's where they hibernate. Like, and you're not going to do those things. Like, from from an animal's perspective, like an animal is not going to put its den somewhere, like out in the middle of the highway. <laughs> like, it's going to be somewhere where they are feel safest. Like a cave in a burrow. Like where they're not going to be disturbed in their actions they're pursuing. Like that's the, the, the image of a den. And that's the irony. The temple, <laughs> the holy of holies, is the place where they feel safest in their iniquity and robberies. Thank you. 
and again, he's seen it. Like they think they're, they're safe in their den, but he knows it's there. <laughs> and he's going to root it out, as you say, because he is a God of justice. Yes, Greg. Yeah, the place that's supposed to be a sanctuary, a safe place, uh, again, is the place where they're being oppressed. I was thinking a lot in terms of, um, to that point, um, Philippians 3, how Paul describes himself. You know, as for me, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, and he goes through all the things that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a, you know, Benjamin. There's nothing, uh, you know, from the tribe of, like, all the things he lists are the things, outward external things that leads him to see himself as self-righteous. And he examines that list and it, <laughs> it's trash, <laughs> it's rubbish, um, it, it's worthless, um, uh, you, know, up, you know, when compared to the righteousness of Christ, all this righteousness is, you know, black, it's trashed. Um, but that is, again, as we think of um, how this applies to us, it, it's the way our own self-righteousness can blind us to our need for the gospel and, and therefore, um, we can do the same thing they're doing, deceive ourselves through our worship, um, and, and in reality, be neglecting the heart that God wants to see in us. Um, yeah, Matthew.
Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's good things that they are perverting, like the things that God has given them for their benefit. Like, you know, the temple is for their benefit, and they've taken it and they've twisted the good thing, and by making it the thing rather than the God behind the thing, <laughs> like they've distorted it to where the good thing that God has given them um, as he's promised, um, they have twisted and turned that good thing and, and it's become an evil in their midst. And, and like you say, like, you know, I mentioned my Catholic upbringing. Baptism's good. Like, like we, <laughs> you know, it's a means of grace that God has given us. But we can sort of like, well, you know, I walked the aisle, I was baptized, and I'm, I'm good. I'm clean. I'm in good standing with God, and I don't have to pay attention to anything else he tells me. Like, because I did that thing, that good thing, um, you know, I participated in that. I took the Lord's Supper, again, a means of grace that God has given us. We can take those good things, even means of grace, and twist them um, if we're just thinking, you know, like, again, like, I did this thing and, and not have consideration of the, of the God who has told you to do this thing. Um, you know, these things are given, you know, for a purpose in a relationship. And I think that's why we get this, um, a lot of, of scholars um, have, have, in my opinion, twisted uh, these words where he, he, he says, um, verse 22, for in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. So they sort of, you know, people look at that and see, see the sacrificial system, you know, um, Jeremiah wasn't aware of it. <laughs> you know, it came late. And no, the, the point there is, you know, for in that day I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Like, so he's saying, did I give them sacrifices? Like, do this and I'll take you out of the land. You know, is this the first thing they did? No, what's the first thing they did? <laughs> they were redeemed. <laughs> I saved them. And then I gave you my law. And that's what he says here. Obey my voice. I will be your God and you shall be my people. It's relationship. And the sacrifices are given in the concept or in the context of a relationship. And to, to think... I can perform the sacrifices and be good and neglect the relationship. That is the faulty thinking that's here. The, the idea like, well, I did the thing and I don't have to pay attention to the God who commanded me to do the thing. And, and that is where their, you know, one major way their worship is going awry. Um, all right, uh, we have... Um, as I said in my um, intro, um, prophets prophets are mediators. Like you know, they speak God's word to the people, um, but they also plead to God on behalf of the people. So they speak God's word to the people, but then they turn around and plead. Uh, they're like defense attorneys. <laughs> they plead the people's case before God. Here. Um, and in a few other places, um, it actually happens seven times, Jeremiah is specifically told, as for you, 
do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. So why in this instance? In other places, we'll see Jeremiah is actually explicitly commanded to pray for them. So this isn't like an absolute <laughs> um, statement. But in this instance, um, why is Jeremiah being commanded not to pray for this people? Yes, Cynthia. Yeah, notice the, the image he gives right after that. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. Um, so <laughs> he's like, do, do you not see that everybody in the family, children, fathers, mothers, like, yeah, they've gone to the temple and then they go home and they've got their uh, idol in their house to Ishtar. Um, you know, that's the, like, like the queen of heaven. Like, wait. Like, you know, and again, it goes to what Mike was saying earlier. Like, it, they are so corrupt, both in terms of their ethical practice, um, you know, with each other, but, you know, all the, the focus and energy they're supposed to be devoting to the worship of God, they're devoting to the worship of these other things that aren't God. Yeah, that, uh, see, we got the prophet. You know, he, he's praying for us, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and again, it's, it can feed their self-deception. Um, and when he, um, so again, it's not the exact sermon, but it has a lot of the same themes in chapter 26. Um, they want to kill him. Like after he proclaims, you know, a similar message, all the same things there, look at Shiloh, you know, your trust in the temple's misplaced. When he speaks to him, um, in ch chapter 26, that's one of the moments, like, well, we, he's, he's blaspheming at the temple, so we got to take him out. Um, yeah, Dave. Yeah, and that's what we see here. And again, it's, it takes that, that, you know, they got to have eyes to see. They got to have ears to hear, and only God can give them those things. Um, but, and, and Jeremiah's call is to keep, like, and we'll see Jeremiah get frustrated with this later. Uh, he has a little bit of argument with God in a few chapters. Um, because imagine how, like, frustrating. So you'll speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. That's, <laughs> that's Jeremiah's job. Like to faithfully proclaim the words of God over and over again to a people who don't want to hear them, um, who will actively seek to take his life. You know, later on the book, um, they're going to throw him into a prison, and throwing him into a prison is not good enough. So they throw him into the bottom of a well where he's, you know, stuck and all he has is mire to drink. 
um, is, is the description we're given. Um, so he is faithfully proclaiming this word to a people who re refuse to listen um, and whose rebellion um, is it's in regards to one another. They're sinning against one another, but they're, again, it's, it's coming out of um, misdirected worship. Um, both misdirected worship that's supposed to be, they're supposed to be giving to Yahweh. Um, they've taken that good worship and corrupted it. Um, but also, they're perverting the worship of God by worshiping all these things that aren't God. The queen of heaven um, is being worshiped. Um, and we'll see that. Queen of heaven's going to come back up uh, later in the book. They are, you know, they've built the high places of Totheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. That, that phrase just always like, God is astounded by the sheer perversity <laughs> of their sinfulness. Like, where, like, where did you get this idea <laughs> to, that this, you think that burning your own children I would find pleasing to me? Um, so, it, yeah, the, the, their perversity has reached a point that, um, that Jeremiah is told to proclaim these words to him, but, but not to stop interceding for him in this instance, because they're, the, the evidence of their, their hard hearts is constantly before them. Yeah, Teresa. Well, so he'll, you know, he, it's at certain occasions he tells them not to pray for him. Uh, and other occasions he tells them to pray for him. So, so, yeah, so it's not a blanket stop praying for them. It's like, look, <laughs> do you see, like, are you really going to come plead before me? Um, you know, like, again, like a defense attorney like, are you really going to come trying to justify your client before me when they're committing crimes in the courtroom? <laughs> like, you know, the evidence of their misdoing is, const is everywhere, um, and it's total. Uh, it involves everyone, children, mothers, fathers. They, they're all tied into um, these false worship practices, and you're really going to come plead for them, come on, Jeremiah. <laughs> like so, I think it's one of those moments where he's telling them, um, and uh, you know, it, it's this idea that um, uh, God can't be bought off with sacrifices and prayers when all avenues and calls for repentance have failed. For what He wants instead is evidence of genuine repentance and a change of heart. Till that happens. Like, you know, Jeremiah, your prayers are going to be useless. Because. No, because he tells them to pray for him. <laughs> uh, and, and he doesn't, like, Jeremiah vents his frustration at his having to, you know, be in this position where the people hate him. Um, and, you know, he. Yet he has to go to them over and over again. So later on, we're going to see him say, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. 
class is over. We're just going to sit here. And, but he's, he, because he loves his people, he's like, oh, I can't. I got to tell them. <laughs> I got to warn them. I got to prove, like, he, 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 he has to. Like, it's his calling. Um, so though he gets, like any human being, there's a limit to his patience. And, um, you know, he, he, this is what God's called him to do over and over and over again. And that's the job of the prophets we see over and over and over again. Preach these words to a people who are, you know, who do not listen to me or incline the ear, but stiffen their neck. They're doing worse things than their fathers. Go preach to them. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think the, the calls for repentance, and again, one of the most frequent words in the book is turn. Turn away from your sin, turn to God. I, I think that offer is genuine throughout the book. Um, but at the same time, the destruction of Jerusalem is coming. <laughs> um, you know, and like last chapter, he looked for one person, couldn't find him. <laughs> You know, go look. Like, you know, it's kind of like that um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, you know, you know, if there are ten righteous people there, will you not destroy it? You know, and he starts off, you know, a hundred, ten. Like, yep, can't find them. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, it's, it's coming. So it's that kind of idea. But I think the offer to repent, like, it's not, I mean, in one sense, in God's sovereignty, judgment is inevitable. From a human responsibility standpoint, um, the offer to repent um, is genuine. Like, and that, that, you know, I think this promise we're given here, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one, with one another, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. That is a genuine offer. They can't do it. Which, to go to Mike's point earlier, they need... Jesus and the, the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit operating in their hearts. Outside of that, there is no hope. Like,
Yeah, because you know, you know, what, what, what lies if they don't re repent, like, because you know the truth of God's word for those who don't turn and believe. Um, so, yeah, so I think you're right. It's that, and that should be our position to the world around us. Like, you know, we should be um, deeply invested um, in the lives of people ar around us because we, we know, you know, they don't have the thing they need. Um, they don't have faith in Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And, but, you know, they're like us, like we too, you know? I, I, like it's not, again, we can make it about self-righteousness and, um, and that's our, our, our human tendency is to like, well, God is, God is really happy to have someone like me on his side, <laughs> you know, and, that, and, and no, it's like I am, I too am fully deserving of God's wrath and the wrath we see poured out in this chapter, um, but Christ drank the cup of wrath that I deserved um, and, and gave me a heart um, to, to, to live for him, gave me ears to hear, gave me eyes to see. Um, and it's all gift, um, and that's how, that's how we're called to live, and that's how we're called to worship. Like, again, not to come as, as we um, end our class and start preparing for, for that act. Like, again, it's, it's, worship is a gift for us. It's not an entitlement. Um, and just like the, as Matthew was saying earlier, the temple was God's good gift to his people, a sign of his visible presence among them, and they turn the gift into entitlement, um, into something that it's not. Um, and that, I, again, I'm hammering the same point over and over again, because I, I think that's the point, Jeremiah. It, that, for us, is the same thing. We can, can turn to these external gifts of God, the good things that God has given them, and trust in them and think we're entitled to something um, apart from that relationship that God has called us um, into. And that should be our, our prayer too. Because that is this—it's the same thing. <laughs> we we need the same thing. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're at time, so let me close this in prayer. Gracious God, um, we do pray that you would give us um, humble hearts, that you would um, um, show to us our own um, self-deceit, um, that you would uh, remove from us um, our complacency. So often um, that we uh, approach um, worship and prayer uh, and Bible study and, and good things that you've given us um, as mere um, external things to check off um, rather than using them as opportunities to have fellowship with you. Um, make, uh, make fellowship uh, with you. Make being in your presence our desire. Um, even as we know that coming into your presence uh, exposes our sin, 
we're not allowed to, to, to be safe in our sinfulness uh, when we come truly into your presence because your holiness uh, exposes um, all the iniquity within us. And we pray that you would even give us that, that discomfort as we gather to worship you, uh, discomfort about our disobedience and all the ways um, that um, even this day we have failed to trust and follow you. Um, give us uh, hearts of repentance, that we would, we would turn from our sin, um, that we too would pursue um, sanctification um, to be holy, even as Christ has made us holy through his finished work on the Christ cross. Uh, we pray that you would give us um, trust in Christ and help us to worship him, uh, even in this coming hour, we pray. In Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Succeedingly, succeedingly.